a very successful uh, lawyer parked his brand new Lexus in uh, the parking lot of uh, his law firm. And as he got out, this truck just came flying by and took off his driver's side door. He got out and he was livid by it. And he was yelling and screaming and grabbed his phone and dialed 911. And when the police got there, he was all jacked up, uh, just saying how he couldn't believe that somebody would do something like that, that he had just picked up the Lexus the other day, and he can't, couldn't understand how people could be uh, so inconsiderate and so much in a rush to not even look at where they're going. And, and the cop looked at him and was just marveled by him and, and got him to finally calm down a bit. And he said, sir, I, I understand the importance of your car, and, but have you noticed anything else? And the man just kind of barked at him and said, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, sir, sir, your left arm has been ripped off. And the man looked down in horror and then said, I can't believe it, my Rolex is gone too. <laughs> you know, we laugh at, at, at that because it seems pretty wild and pretty ridiculous. But the, but the truth is, when you think about it, you really can't identify with it. What it's like to have messed up priorities. I mean, think about it. How hard it is to keep your priorities. You know, you, you sit at home on a, on a Friday night maybe and you, and you get your bills and, and, and you do your budget and you look and you think, this has got to stop. I mean, we are just bleeding and you make a commitment and, and you might even write it down or put it on a spreadsheet and feel good. And the next day you go to the mall. And all of a sudden you see something that, that's got your name on it, that's calling to you, that now becomes the biggest priority in your life. And then later you think, how did that happen? Or, or you go on a diet and, and, and you commit to yourself that this is it. Things have got to change. And you go out and you buy all the healthy food. You get the gym membership. But all you have to do is walk by a box of cookies. Edmund cookies, per se. And they just... They just talk to you. They become the priority of your life. I mean, it's just so easy. Where you convince yourself that from now on, I am gonna get out of work on time and, and, and I wanna spend more time with my family. And yet, that very next day, you find yourself at the office later than the day before you made the commitment. It's hard to hold 
priorities. In fact, it can get to the point where you almost want to throw up your arms and say, who am I fooling? I can't, I can't keep these priorities. I mean, I, I want to, I've tried to, but I, something gets in the way. Think, think about your priorities with God. The priorities in your faith. Where you have said, things have got to change. Yeah, even as you were standing singing and listening to the words and, and being inspired by God's spirit, maybe you thought to yourself, you know, I've got to get deeper. I've, I have got to get closer. I have got to start growing and stop fooling around. I've got to become more for God because God is so majestic and, and I want to glorify him. I want to be whole his. And yet, just like that, you wake up Monday morning and you're off and running and the thought of Bible study isn't even in your mind. The thought of devotions isn't even there. You don't even offer up a quick prayer. You, you make the promise that this year is going to be different. That I am going to, I'm going to give my time. I'm going to make a difference. I want to see people come to Christ through me. And yet it never happens. Or you say, I want to get to the place where, where I can give where I can make a difference in the church and in the ministry and what goes on in this world. And yet by Sunday, you've fretted away on lesser things. It is hard to keep priorities. It is even harder to keep the priorities that we set in our faith relationship with God. You would think if, if anybody would have known it, it would have been a guy who had a name like Haggai. Because uh, in the Hebrew, the, the name literally meant party. I mean, how do you keep priorities when your name is party? Well, it meant festival. But... You can imagine a guy like that did, you know, didn't have many priorities. I mean, he was too busy just having a good time. Yes, but no. Haggai was an interesting uh, person. He was a person we suspect of nobility. Um, he was a person who God used in a very special time. He did have a reason to party and celebrate because he was a prisoner who was released and set free. He was a person who was sent out into exile and allowed to come back to his hometown, to his home nation. Um, and I, we've gone over this a bunch of times, but if you remember, um, Israel had a civil war around 931 BC, split the country to the north and south. Um, Israel on the top, and you had uh, Judah in the south. And then around 
722, the Assyrians took the north. And not only did they take the north, and, and you want to make special note of this if you ever become powerful and have your own empire. Um, but they not only took it, they were smart. Once they took the north, they took the people and they dispersed them across the Assyrian Empire. They took them out of the country and spread them all over the place. Because you don't have to worry about a people that are gone. You don't have to worry about a people that are mixed in with your people. You don't have to worry about a people that eventually are going to marry people from your nation and your tongue and your religions. You're going to kind of breed them right out of existence. Well, that's what the Assyrians did. And then right around 586 uh, BC, the Babylonians came and they took the southern part of Israel, Judah. And not only did they take Judah, but they defeated the Assyrians and so they took the north too. And they did the same thing. They took the people in the south and they dispersed them all over the place. And it was later when the Medes and the Persians came, what we call the Medo-Persian Empire, that Israel was allowed to go back to its country. In fact, there were literally right around 538, there were three major groups that were, that were allowed to go back. In fact, that were encouraged to go back. The first group is the group that had Haggai in it. Um, it was about 50,000 people. Now, that might sound like a big number, but here's the thing, and here's the problem. There were over a few million Jews at that time. But when given the chance to go home, only 50,000 really cared to make the trip. Only 50,000 really cared to hold on to their heritage, to their personality as being people of the promise being God's holy family. Only 50,000. In fact, of the 24 tribes that were in existence, only four returned to the nation of Israel. Think about that. Of the, of the 24, and let me just read, I, I messed that up. Of the 24 uh, different sects of priests, only four were allowed to come back. Why? They didn't care. The Assyrians had done their work. The Babylonians had done their work. They had taken this people. They had just immersed them in different cultures. They forgot their priorities. They forgot what mattered. And so when it came time to go home, made no dent in them whatsoever. And that's where we pick up the message of Haggai. He is in the first group. Later there was a, a second group by um, Ezra the priest who led about 1,600 more. And then there was a third group by Nehemiah who led a few, uh, another small group. 
But for the most part, you're only talking around 50,000 people that went back. Haggai went back because he felt the call of God upon him to rebuild God's house, to rebuild God's temple, to reestablish Israel, not only as a nation, but as a people who are followers of the one true holy God. So let's take it up at verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to, to Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel. Now, let me just say, um, so who was, okay, go ahead, shift it up. Governor of Judah. And so basically, when Darius allowed the people of Israel to go back, when he allowed the first group to go back, he had Zerubbabel go back to be the governor, to rule over things, to be the one who was going to be responsible, to be the one whose head was going to be on a chopping block if anything went wrong. Um, and Joshua, son of jo- uh, Jozak, the high priest, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now what what was he saying? He was saying this. You went back to build God's house, but you didn't build it. Now, to be fair to them, they had some reason to point to, because when they got there, and I want you to picture this. Imagine if you had been taken out of Manchester, and your desire was someday to come back. I know. (laughs) All right, so imagine we're living in Hawaii, all right? and your desire is one day to come back, and finally you get the chance to come back, and as you start to reclaim your property, as you start to begin to build your life again, the natives around you are not happy. The natives around you have claimed your land, they've claimed everything. And everything you do, they try to oppose, even though you have permission of the king, they try to make your life miserable. And then when you decide that you're gonna build the new Faith Baptist Church, the natives give you such a hard time that you begin to back off and you begin to say, you know what, it's, it's not the time yet. Um, things aren't in the right situation. Um, we gotta wait till things politically calm down. And God looks at the people of Israel and says, what are you doing? You went back with a passion. You went back with a priority. But all of a sudden when you got there and met a little bit of opposition, your priority shifted. You only became concerned about yourself and building your houses and not rebuilding mine. 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. And I want you to just hang on to that phrase because we're gonna come back to that. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now what was he saying? He was saying, you came back and you just kind of threw up your hands and said, yeah, God's work will have to come later. Right now, we'll just take care of ourselves. Because we can't take care of God's things until we take care of our things. But what happened is they stopped caring about God's things. And what really happened was this. No matter what they did, it wasn't enough. Go back again to that slide. You have planted much, but harvested little. Never, there's thing, it's never enough for you. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. Put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages, only put them in a purse with holes in it. In other words, whatever money you get, you just blow. You put on a coat, but you're never quite warm enough. There's something inside of you. There's this discontentment. Why? Because deep down inside, there's a hole in you that only I can fill. Your priorities are all screwed up. It's about what you can have and what you can hold and what you can eat and what you can drink. It's about your pleasures. It's about being content. And you're not even content. It's interesting. When our priorities get screwed up, we're never content, are we? I mean, you ever have one of those days where, you, where you've determined this, 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 and this are going are gonna to happen but somehow up there, you allowed yourself to, to get diverted to something else and, and you indulged it because you thought, well, that other stuff, you know. Yeah, I'll get to it. And then at the end of the day, you look at a wasted day. You don't feel content with that because deep down inside, God hasn't created us to just live lives of vanity. God has created us to make an impact and make a difference. And that's what had happened to the people of the nation of Israel. And think about what happens to you. When you live a discontented life, you become desperate. You begin to to self-medicate and to pour into all sorts of things that make it worse for you, but you think it'll at least numb the pain. It will at least uh, allow you some little bit of pleasure in life. And you just dig a deeper hole. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, remember, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure 
in it and be honored, says the Lord. You have expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Now, when God says, look, go out and do this and I will take pleasure and I will be honored. Do we worship a vain God? A, a God who needs us to build him a little house so that you know, he feels that you know, he has a place in the neighborhood and, and that um, you know, we want him to feel well. No. <laughs> he owns the earth. He owns all that's within it. He does it because he cares about us. He knows that when we care about him, we're able to receive his care for us. See, when your priorities get screwed up, you don't even think that way. You think, yeah, one day I want to be able to give. One day I want to be able to tithe. One day I want to be, but right now I can't because I got all these cares. And you stop caring for God. And you're never able to receive his care. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with, his own, with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens withdraw their dew and the earth its crops. He says, because of you and because of your sinfulness, I've had to withdraw my blessings from you. Because you made other things a priority, I honored it. And now you are reaping what you sowed. When you, when you study the Old Testament, man, I am telling you, you see that theme over and over and over again. You reap what you sow. Moses said, I, I lay before you blessings and curses. Choose the blessings and you'll be blessed. Choose the curses and you'll be cursed. Mess up your priorities. And there are consequences for that. Because that's why priorities matter. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, uh, Joshua, son of Jozak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Now, fear doesn't mean they were, they understood that God is to be treated with reverence. They understood that God is supposed to matter more than anything. What does it mean to fear God? It means you put God in first place. <clears throat> Here's a principle I want to share with you this morning through this. When we talk about priorities, godly priorities are built on promise-seeking not pro problem solving. They're built on promise seeking or seizing. Why is that? Because here's the thing. 
If all you're doing is trying to solve problems in your life, if your priority list is a list of problems that need to be fixed, then that is a sure and certain sign that you're living for yourself, that you are living for your kingdom. When you open up the Bible, God didn't give us a book of problems to be solved. He gave us a book of promises to be seized. What bogs us down in life and what messes up our, our priorities is we look at them as problems. I gotta do this, this, and this. And those words, I gotta do, just kills us. Because we can feel the weight of it. Instead of looking and saying each morning, God has life for me today and I want to go out and seize it. I want to go out and pursue him and care about what he cares about. I want to seize the promises that he has made to me in Christ Jesus. I am not going to get bogged down in the problems because it matters. Social psychologists will tell you all the time, the viewpoint you hold, negative or positive, determines the direction you go in. Every time the nation of Israel got into trouble, it was because they looked to themselves and then life became about fulfilling all of their wants and desires and that only came by trying to solve all of the problems within them. <clears throat> In chapter two, Haggai writes this. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests reply. What are they saying? A healthy person, if you have contact with them, can't make you a healthy person, right? If I'm ha- healthy and, and, and Mark's next to me, uh, can he become healthy just because I am healthy? No. But a sick person, if you have contact with them, you get sick, right? If I pursue, if my life is just about problems, that's sickness and that's death. But if my life is about what is real, what is life, and I pursue life, then I have a life worth pursuing. You see, we get caught up in our problems and, and then, especially when it comes to God, we make all sorts of lame excuses of why we can't and you know, it, it's not the right time or I don't have enough money. We jam ourselves up in sin. We feel isolated and we think, well, God doesn't like me anyways. All these things happen that mess us up. 
because we've lived our lives thinking that priorities are about solving problems instead of seizing all the promises that God has made for us. When you wake up in the morning, what are you looking to do? You're looking to see, you're looking to solve problems, right? I'm hungry, that's a problem. I gotta get to work on time, that's a problem. I've got this relationship and I gotta, that's a problem. I mean, it's right there in front of us. But do we ever look and think, maybe there's more than problems. Maybe there are promises to seize. Maybe my faith is real and it will deal with my problems just as I believe and follow because half of our problems or probably 75, 80% are caused by us anyways. So how do you go about this? How do you Look to seize promises and, and not spend a life just solving problems. Number one, conviction. Remember what I told you to keep in mind when, when God said through Haggai, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to what you believe. First and foremost, what do you believe? Makes a huge difference. It's funny, I, I can probably say best evidence I've seen in that has been years of doing therapy, and here's why. I can have one person who has some severe disorder Bipolar, and they're having problems with it. And yet, they love God. They still want to serve Him, and, and yep, they stuff, suffer all the symptoms, and, and things get in the way. But they're still moving in the right direction. Then I have someone bipolar, and, and they're a shipwreck. They're drinking, doing drugs, molesting kids, what, whatever. And we'll say, it's because I'm bipolar. No, it's not. That, that might have inflamed it. The difference between the two was not the problem. The difference between the two was the priorities. The difference between the two was one believed in the promises that God made and even while their life had more of a struggle they didn't go off in this direction I have seen people on the border of insanity who still love God I have seen people physically who have who have been delirious and all they do is praise God. 
And I've seen others, all they do is, is yell and swear and curse. What's the difference? What they believe. So here's the thing. What is it that you believe? I, I keep coming back, and, and, and of all times in our country, I firmly believe what you believe matters. And if it hasn't shown up, it has to start showing up, or we're in big trouble. What do you believe? What are you convicted? In fact, conviction, I picked that word because I can believe something, but conviction's more. Conviction is belief set in motion. What are you willing to live for and to die for? It's important. You don't throw your hands. But how many of you right now can say, I know what I believe? I know what I'm willing to die for. I love that line in Braveheart. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Why? Because not everyone believes in anything. (laughs) You can pass away at 80, but die at 30. What are you convicted by? The, the, the people of Israel, they left. Even when the, well, the, when the majority of, of their fellow citizens said, I, I, I'm not going to Israel. That's over 900 miles. What do I want to make a trip like that for? It takes four months. What are you doing that for? They left because they believed. Conviction number two, action. If you believe, if you're convicted, you have to act. You have to act in the direction of your convictions, not your doubts. We believe and then we start to fear, oh, that's, that's, that's too much. I'm not sure I can do that. Well, then you didn't believe because if you believed, you don't understand. God's going to do it for you. All you have to do is show up. Hands, feet, hearts, it's all you got to bring to the table. You don't have to be smart or well-connected or anything else. You just got to be available. You've got to be willing to act on what you believe. I have people all the time, they tell me all this great stuff of what they believe, but they're living over here. The two never meet. They'll tell you, I'm a Christian. I get calls from the hospital all the time by people who identify this church as their church. Now, I'm coming up on 25 years here. Some of these people said, I never heard of them. But they're one of us. 
in spirit. No, they're not. Belief isn't like a, a hat you pull out every once in a while. And make no mistake about it, you will be judged by what you believe. Do not kid yourself. If you think any differently, you're sitting in the wrong place. What you believe matters. And if you believe it, it'll be shown in how you act. The risks that you're willing to take. The love that you're willing to give and, and, and the hurt you're willing to sustain. the time, the money. Because your actions, they mirror your convictions. Thirdly, reflection. If you're gonna live a life of promise seizing, it'll happen like this. Every day you'll have to reflect. How'd I do? Did what I do today mirror, equal, reflect what I believe and what I said I was willing to do? You know, the, the wonderful thing about the message of Haggai, they heard, they listened. When, when Haggai spoke, the voice of God wasn't foreign to them that they doubted him or they knew that voice. They knew God's word. They knew what was true. And when they heard it, they said, you know what? You're right. God called us to a work to do. And we got to get back to doing that work. What is it in your life? What priorities in your life have got to get set back in the right place? What unfinished work in your life you need to get back to finishing I, I can't tell you what that is I can tell you you need to go out and make disciples you need to love the people around you you need to speak the truth when nobody else is speaking it you need to risk <coughs> everything if that's what the time calls for. But I don't know what that means for you personally right now. You do. Maybe for some of you it's, yeah, I've got to start seizing these promises and I've got to start to know them better. I've got to start believing what I believe and understand. Otherwise, I'll just live a life of problem solving and I won't solve them. I'll make more. <clears throat> but some of you, it might be the way you treat people because you're in such a hurry because so many problems to solve. It might be giving. I don't know what it is. But you've got to reflect. Because here's the deal. Every morning when you wake up, you start off again, and what do I believe? And how will I act? Don't kid yourself. 
one day, your actions are going to be weighed against your convictions. You can say, but no, the gospel is, it's listen and do. We're not saved by what we do, but we're saved by what we believe, but what we believe becomes manifested in what I do. Can't, can't say I love my wife, but I'll see you once a year on Valentine's Day. She might take that as a gift of love, but but on my part, that's not love. I can't say I'll be there for you, and then when you call me and say, I'm really busy. Don't kid yourself. What you do is reflecting what you really believe. You know, you've heard the old cliche, want to know what someone believes? Look at their checkbook you'll find out what they believe, what matters most to them. Uh, there was this young boy who came in from, came to church one morning for Sunday school and, and he was late and he was upset and the teacher could tell he was upset and, and, and she said to him, you know, why are you late? And he said, well, I want to go fishing today. And I, and I asked my dad if, if we could go. And he said, no, you've got you to gotta go to Sunday school. And she said, well, you know, that, was, that was good of your dad. That, I mean, that's because he, he loves you. And the little boy said, no, it's just because he didn't have enough bait for me. I see that all the time. People giving lip service, but just running around trying to solve problems, chasing their tails, sowing their wind and reaping the whirlwind, and God has something better for you. To wake up every morning and know there are promises that God wants me to seize for his glory. There are opportunities that he prepared for me before the, the, the beginning of the creation. And that's the work I have to get to. And I won't let anything stand in its way. So no, I won't get myself in debt. No, I won't engage in an affair. I, I won't go off and cheat somebody or or spend my life lying to my, I, I don't have time for that. I play it straight because that's part of what it means to, to seize the promises that God has made. So go forth this week. Live each day based on conviction and action and reflection and you'll find out what you really believe. And if what you really believe is real, then you'll really be drawn closer to God. Please join me in prayer.